and welcome to the Guinness World Record holding Bondazi Fire! That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Fondazi Fire, and this is a show that asks a simple question, what do you want? Now, normally the answer would be more fire, but since this is a podcast, we're going to be giving you the ins and the outs of how a world record holding fire performance group operates. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to do this interview. We, we've been doing a podcast and we're doing what we call a legacy series. We want to get to know the members of the Minnesota Renaissance Festival that have been there and had different experiences over the years and find out kind of what those experiences were. I just want to get to know FUD a little bit. I mean, I've heard things about you, FUD. Was it five weeks on, on the clock when you decided you were going to come and do the entertainment directing at the Minnesota Renaissance? In 2018, the festival is going to open on August 17th. And my first day on the job was effectively July 5th. So <laughs> however many days that is. Yeah, about five weeks well, left. Let's say six and... weeks. Let's let's be generous. Okay, and, six weeks. Uh, I knew Chris Ward and Gary Parker and Jim Cunningham and... David Bryce and, you know, people who had been there um, back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and so the first thing I did was put out uh, a Google form and just ask people, if you give me your name and your phone number, your email address, and tell me what you do so that I could at least have a database from which I could start calling people and, and figuring things out. Um, and I want to give a, some credit uh, that first year, Chris Ward, I don't know if you know Chris Ward. She plays the harp, and she's yeah. one of our musicians. She had been there back in the 80s when I was there, and I called her and said, would you come in and just help me with phone calls, reaching out to the musicians, because you'll know the musicians, and we can cover a little bit more ground. I do remember on July 9th, it was a Monday night, we had a meeting at the pavilion, and I invited all of the um, directors of large groups, and I, nobody was excluded, but I didn't know people, so I thought I want to at least meet them. And I had a long yeah. list of here's here's what I'm gonna here's who I am, and here's what I'm gonna do. And we got through that night with uh, pizzas and mosquitoes. And you know what? Yeah. I really have to give credit to the performing cast for the Renaissance Festival. I did my job and I was in a mad panic, but people got on board and helped out and said, yep, this is what we do. And here's our, you know, these are the stages that we're usually at. And here's the time our shows are. And um, everybody really came together to help. And I think that first right. day when we opened, we hit the ground running and then it was a little bit of culture change, you know? Well, it, it had to be culture change and it started with that first meeting. I mean, I don't know about the rest of Fondazi, I mean, Katie was there with me. I, I can almost feel like I can verbatim, like do your speech that you got up and gave that day. Uh, at least I recall you being there going, I know things are not ideal right now. And don't shoot the messenger. I'm just jumping into the middle of this shit show. <laughs> and I want to help you guys. 
what can I do to help? How can I help? And the, the theme was, we can do better. And how can I help? Right. And that was, I left that night going, I can get behind this. Like, I'm going to help out yeah. as I can, because this is the yeah. direction that we need to go as an entertainment staff. Yeah. And people said, we're a little freaked out by you. I said, why? Well, you've been in costume and on this all day, every day so far. I thought, well, what else would I be doing? I mean, I, I, <laughs> it's the Renaissance Festival. I'm in it with you guys. I'm going to work the streets. And <laughs> if I've got to do a quick juggling trick at the Feast of Tennessee, you do it. If you need to take tickets, you take tickets. But there's no way to, you don't really lead the Renaissance Festival. You get in with them and, and do, it, do it together. You know? Yeah, I love, I love that viewpoint. That, that shows in how you, how you lead out there. The culture that you brought to the, the Renaissance Festival, I, I really appreciate it. It was, it was nice to see the entertainment director out there in the lanes with us and not just telling us what to do, but showing us how to do it. Like seeing you juggling by front gate is the best thing at the end of the day. It's like, yeah, you, we've all had a long day, but people are still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had actually visited. Well, can we can we do the Wayback yeah. Machine for a minute? In 1978, I auditioned and, and was hired to be a hawker. Um, and I worked out of Witchwood Inn, and I was the hawker for the Flying Car Matsoff Brothers, Avner the Eccentric, and I think Magical Mystical Michael. I did that for a couple of years and, and then developed a street character. And the Flying Car Matsoff Brothers taught me how to juggle, and I got a little bit better at it and a little bit better. And... Um, they all eventually left the festival. And then the our entertainment director at the time, Lee Walker, um, gave me some street shows. And back then, some of our stage acts were actually working the lanes on a, on a grid schedule. And I remember I had shows at A4 and B2 and maybe at C2. And C2 is now the Grove stage where Tui works all the time. Um, and after a couple of years okay. of doing street shows, then I got a stage schedule and I would do uh, every morning at 9.30, I was on the bakery stage. And then every day at one o'clock, I was down in what was then the Gypsy Camp and now the Sherwood stage. Um, and then I had three other shows and they were at five different stages, five different times throughout the day. And I did the vaudeville act. I did the Fun the Incredible Juggler act. Um, and then I left the festival in my last year was 1987. So I did 10 years. And I really did not come back to the festival. I may have visited one time for a special anniversary. Um, but in 2017, I went to a Twins game and bumped into Jim Cunningham. And he and I got to hmm. talking. And he said, you got to come out to the festival. He said, I'll get you some comp tickets, but come out to the festival because George Herman is going to be in town from Arizona. And George Herman was the king when I was there back in the 70s and 80s. He said, you got to come out. So I dug around and found the juggling props and found enough costume pieces and came out for a day and got to see George and a few other of the old cronies and hung out with Jim and Laszlo a little bit. And uh, I think I came out on a Saturday and then I came back out on Sunday. And then the next weekend I came out again and 
I maybe oh, spent yeah. five or six days, 2017. <laughs> and really what I did is just walk the festival. I would, I, Jim and Lazo were busy. So I would just take the day and walk the festival and, and sort of enjoy what was going on. And I want to be really clear. There's, there's no one, nobody ever, to my, to my opinion, nobody did anything wrong. But I think what happens is in 30 years, a small change that happens year after year ends up being a big change when you haven't been there for 30 years. And right. what I had noticed was that a lot of the character actors were in character groups and that some of the actual street character, the value of the individual street character, the interactive street character, it wasn't as strong as it had been. And I thought that's really the bread and butter. I mean, that's what makes the Renaissance Festival different from anything else you do. Um, and so I was I committed to you know doing that. So when the season was over, I talked to Cunningham and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to retire from my teaching job. You might have some ins. Um, if there's an opportunity where I could maybe come out and help with the academy in the summer and maybe hang out at the festival in the fall, that would be great. And a good storyteller is never supposed to do what I am about to do. Um, one thing led to another, and July mm -hmm. 5th, I was the entertainment <laughs> director. Uh, and it really is about... <laughs> It's really about that fast. The first year and last year, I kept harping on, it's a one-day festival, people. We've got to let go of characters who are trying to have a narrative that lasts from opening weekend to closing weekend. That love story doesn't play to the audience. They don't get it. And now you're just entertaining right. each other, which doesn't help. So it's a one-day show. Um, we just do it 16 times. Yeah, so uh, this would have been my 27th season. I started in 93. You were talking about how things have changed, and, and I've watched it happen over the last, you know, 26 years. You know, things like the, the chapel being gone and the, the big tent taking over the green and uh, blue, uh, the Blue Lion Tavern disappearing. Um, and, you know, just some of those things that have changed, all the, the various acts and stuff that have gone. Uh, I started in street. I was with Suleiman Circus there last year, and you know, moved on and I was a street character with a bunch of others and there there was like thirty of us that roamed that were all individual characters and then we'd meet up in a group pack and we did all kinds of crazy sing along things in the privies and uh, things that just happened and then slowly but surely we all formed groups and went on stages or became musicians. And you know, the the trickle down effect has been there's been fewer and fewer people in the street. So what what have you seen that from the bigger gap of time that you were gone to coming back now? Well, like I said, the first thing was that the, and I, I get how this happens because characters do like to work together. And so back in the old days, there was the court and that was really the only character group that existed. Um, but now we have the, the Fairwing Forest and Mermaid Cove, and we have about eight or nine character groups and if you've got 10 or 15 people in each of those character groups, you've got an awful lot of your street actors caught up in those groups. And what I've been saying is that if you've got four people in a group walking together on the streets, it's not four times the entertainment. In fact, it may even be less than one times the entertainment because they'll be talking to each other more than they're talking to the patron. So I really feel that that street theater is one aspect. Um, the other change, and I'm sure that the Fondazi don't don't hang up the phone on me here, but um, we're trying not to. Back in the old days, stage acts worked maybe five or six shows, 
in five or six different places. And right. what has happened now is that stage acts are sort of dedicated or locked in or associated with a specific stage. And that might be a horse apiece. The audience knows where to find people. Um, hmm. But it, it takes away a little bit of the spontaneity. And we all know that there's a grid, a master grid for, for the entertainment. But the patron doesn't know that. Um, mm -hmm. You guys are very good about getting out on the streets when you're not doing your show. But not necessarily all of the stage acts are. Some are, but not all. And when you have to move from from the Sherwood stage to Witchwood or wherever it is, or Bakery to Treetop, then you do have to hit the streets. So I've noticed the thing, you know, there's good thing, there's good values and bad values to us being in one location as we are. Uh, over the years, we've been able to modify our performance space to make it safer, uh, which has allowed us to go and bring more fire each year. Uh, it's literally just small little changes that we make over time. And if we were going to various stages, although we would have that spontaneity, we wouldn't have the consistency that allows us to go as big as we do. That being said, I have come to lament the idea that we can't just pick up and do things other places as much. We had a few years where we were playing with Danger Committee. I'd go to their final show and just kind of bring it up a notch of like, hey, what if we breathe fire right now and <laughs> during this fire trick that you're trying to do? Yeah. Uh, and then we we uh, blew out the Tortugas for their final show one year. Uh, and that was really a lot of fun. I love working with the other entertainment staff. Yeah. <laughs> Fondazi cameos. And there are, I mean, culture change happens over a period of years. You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you, you have to be patient. And and I have my my things that I'd like us to continue to get better at with regard to the performance out there, because I think it can be, as you said at the beginning, Adam, it, it, everybody can do better, you know? Um, yeah. No matter how you're doing now, there's a notch that you can find to take it up. Um, I think it would be great in a couple of years if, from the patron perspective, they literally couldn't tell if somebody was a street character or in a character group, or a stage act, or a musician. That it would just be a seamless cast that people do different things and you just enjoy them, you know? But that takes some time and people working together to, to make that happen. And it does take time because it, that sort of change doesn't happen overnight because it needs to be, we need to find a way to make that a safe environment, not being able to necessarily, that the patron right. would necessarily tell who's who but we all have a way of identifying right. each other. I know in the right. past they used patches, there's been buttons. Yeah. Uh, the patches, I felt like that didn't that didn't work. Are we looking at other better variations of the patch? Putting the patches on the Tortuga twins isn't going to matter that much because they're at their stage and they're it's really the street characters that we're working on. And one of the projects that I have is that um, during the actual festival from maybe 10 to 11 or 10.30 to 11.30 in the morning, we'd like to create a Platron Academy where people can buy a ticket just like a daily event. They come into the gate and then they meet at, we'd meet at 10 o'clock, let's say, and we do a little Platron Academy for an hour and help them with some skills and some information about how to be a character out here. And it's not so that they can entertain other patrons, but so that they can be more skilled at interacting with our performing cast. 
And if we can do that, then we can give them a medallion on a very bright yellow ribbon that they wear around their neck. And instead of having to identify who's on the cast, it might be easier to identify who's not on the cast. I actually really like that idea. idea. Have you heard of uh, Disney bounding, Fudd? Um, No. Uh, No. Katie is a our resident Disney expert. Uh, Katie, you mind explaining Disney bounding to Fudd? Uh, Disney bounding is you take your modern day outfit and it is um, inspired by a Disney character. So say you take Alice in Wonderland and I'm yeah. on a Disney bound Alice. I would put on blue shorts or a blue skirt and then um, like a blue top with maybe a white vest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's dressed in the colors of that character, but she's not looking like that character. And sure. I tend to wonder, would something like that work at Renaissance bounding of like, yeah. people are like, I'm sort of like dressed like a Tortuga or a Fantasia sure. or danger or whatever. We, um, we'd maybe have to give them some visual images. Out. Yeah. Right. Some examples of how that looks. Yeah. Well, you know how very few idea. photos there are of the performers and how we hate getting our photos taken. Cause... Right. Yeah, the performers are so shy. It's almost like we're not there. Teresa, I hear that you like hide every time there's a typer oh, around you. Oh, I, this is sarcasm, right? I, I'm yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so Fudd, when when we're on stage, and I've, I'm one of the first ones, so they're Adam and Brett introduce the show, and then I run on the sh- stage and do some stuff. And if I spot one of the photographers that we know, I come backstage and I tell everyone, and we just ham it up even more, or we smile, or we actually will pose on stage slightly. I'm so glad you've told me that. I'm going to make sure that there's a photographer at every one of your shows. Because <laughs> what you're telling me is you don't work as hard when they're not there. No, it, it's really interesting. Chris has been here the longest out of us and Katie next. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cultural shift that I've seen over time that is so interesting is that we've got the street talent. And when the street talent gets to a certain level, which is what happened to you as well, it sounds like happened to us. You, you get to a certain point and then... You want to create a bigger act and then eventually yeah. you get to a stage, which, you know, doesn't necessarily all have to do with age, but I am <laughs> somewhat happy to be at a stage at this age. But, you know, <laughs> it seemed like for a while there, there was a gap where we were missing the the youth being really yeah. prevalent yeah. and the, the cultivating of individual youth talent was gone for a few exactly. years. And it was, it was really, you know, there was this definite feeling of a void there. Well, well there's also I, youth bounding straight to the stage act and skipping the, the growing pains piece yeah. at times. Yeah. And you, you know, when you're, when you're literally taking a, a juggling club and drawing a circle on the, in the dirt and then gathering a crowd. And back when yeah. I was there, there were no benches anywhere. There wasn't a bench on site when I worked in the 70s and 80s. Um, we had straw bales. Um, but really, it was almost a standing crowd. And some people would sit on the ground. There was grass on the ground back then. Um, but you, you kind of have to go through some phases. And there's some guidance and some coaching that needs to go along with that to to mature into a stage act or a, a, a pub pub band or something like that. Yeah. Well, if the trend continues, we're going to end up in a shop. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like there's anything that you recall from the early days that there's that aspect missing on the street, like a certain variety of character, any of that that you've noticed? 
Um, that's a great question. And, and in a way, there is. Um, and I, I say this at, at Academy probably every week um, for the last three seasons of Academy. And we are this small village. We are this small, nameless village in the English countryside. And if right. you assume for a moment that a lot of the stage acts and the musicians and people have come to this village because there's a festival, the ultimate question becomes, where are the villagers? Where are the people who live in this town? Where are the bakers and the, the serving wenches and the blacksmith? And where are the people who are from this village? And I really push hard for our character actors to be from our village. Um, Zilch is a great example of this. Terry Foy, who plays Zilch back in the 70s and 80s, he was Zilch the gravedigger before he was doing his stage shows, and he would carry around a shovel, and he was the local gravedigger. And he still has the same look, and that doesn't mean you can't be a musician in a pub or a juggler or a magician, but who are you in this town? Um, it's as if somebody's right. come in and cleared out all the locals for this festival, and... I, I like that local color. I liked it when the bakery was a working bakery and there were six or right. eight bakers around. Um, yeah. yeah. That creates a village feel. And how, do we, get, take, how do we get back to that? Well, we, we start... How do you see us getting back there? We develop those characters who are villagers. You know, I, I, here's my dream character. And if somebody came to auditions and did this, they'd, I, I, they'd be in in an instant. Um, I'd like to have one or two people who are village carpenters. Now, because of the festival, they've probably got the day off. Um, but over the last month and a half, they've been build building wooden benches. And they would carry around some appropriate tools and be bench inspectors. And the show begins to write itself. I'm sorry. Sure. Fudd, Fud, it really sounds like you're trying to take my, my beard away from me. You can't have Chris. <laughs> no, you can't no. take a... <laughs> you can't have him he but, is so interested he's like i could do this character right now if, let's go if, if they carry a, if they carry around a brand new bench and go up to a family sitting on a bench eating and say excuse me but we got to take that bench in for repair um if i can buy him if i can buy him a set of number punches i'd hand them to him and i'd say opening day start numbering the benches and start with right. one Start with zero 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 one and then zero 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 two, and between now and October fourth, see how many benches you can get numbered, and just walk up as people are sitting on them and say, "Excuse me," or we might even have to license the benches and tell patrons, "You know, I'm sorry, but uh, the tabs on your bench have expired. Um, we're going to have to take this." See the Lord Sheriff and pay this. And yeah. and we all know that good street theater, good street theater, just writes itself at that point, but. Oh, There's yeah. a great Take example of a sheriff. couple of of a couple of local characters who are just busy all day every day working the benches. I love it. You know, um, I love it. That's so brilliant. Yeah. So and it's if they that could kind legit hammer in some of those loose nails, even better. Right. Right. Well, absolutely. Yeah. They they they're functional. Chris, Chris, here's another idea for you. Um, in the in the areas. In, well, because I thought he wanted to do the uh, the carpentry piece. I'm all ears. Yeah. Um, in the areas where we have large numbers of privies, um, there's an area just 
down from Bad Manor, um, if you go down ups and downs, there's an area past a couple of shops on the left there uh, yeah. with, mm -hmm. with a big opening. And I'd love yeah, to get a little... I'd like to get a little lectern there and have one of our peasant characters be the privy mater d. You know, so, Fud, it's funny that you say that. Have you ever heard yep. about the Shea Privy? Yep, yep. <laughs> I just so think it would Katie be great to have somebody ask, do you have a reservation? How many in your party? <laughs> um, will you need paper? Um, well, you know... But there was a really, there was a few years there where we were told we were not allowed to do anything like that, and we had to keep all privy. Yeah, they play. made they no made body talk off limits. Well, uh, <laughs> I I'm not talking about what I'm allowed to do. I'm just talking. I'm talking about my dream <laughs> festival. All right. So oh, uh, getting from this is it's better to ask forgiveness. Um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> while, while we're talking about street, I, you know, for whoever might hear this, the other thing that I think is so critical is that um, our characters need to be simple. And you guys have heard me say this at Cast Call, and again, I say it at Academy every day. Don't be the character. Do the character. If I ask you who your character is, don't tell me, well, I'm a princess, but I was born in another country, and I don't know that I'm a princess because I was taken by my evil aunt who was really a witch, but she wasn't really a witch. She, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Your character needs to be simple. Your character needs to be Zilch the Gravedigger. Your character needs to be Fud the Juggler. You need, you need to have something simple. And then spend all day doing those things instead of trying to be those things. Um, it's got to be about action. It's got to be something that the audience can see and, and interact with. Because the audience doesn't want you, want you to walk up and say, I was born a princess, but I'm not really a princess. No. <laughs> I'm curious to know now how Zilch the Gravedigger became Zilch the Tory Steller, honestly, like where that transition came up from. But I guess I'll have to get. You, you'll have to ask him, but I, I'm, legacy with him. I'm pretty sure that his transition was not unlike me going from Fud the Hawker to having my own stage shows. Um, Right. And, and that, part of well, that, that was Lee Walker. Character's background. Lee Walker could see that in some of us too. We were encouraged to develop a show. You know, the the right yeah. energy was there. So, right. Yeah. Well, that should be the background. It should be the people that have been coming around enough know your background, know that you're a princess who didn't right. know that you were a princess because yeah. they saw you as a peasant first, right? And then you became a princess. Well, and another great yeah, example of that that's is the character arc is John Bear. I mean, John Bear hasn't yeah. always been king, but he's king now. Right. Yep. Right. So. And if people that have been out there long enough know the history. Right. Right. But we yeah. we really have to. Uh, uh, and again, I'm just I'm using your your podcast as sort of a soapbox. Um, the entertainment cast has it has got to be patron friendly. We have to stop doing anything that alienates a patron, that pushes a patron away, whether it's making fun of how they dress or how they talk or what they look like, we have to engage them as if they're just villagers from the next village over. And we welcome them and we love them. And, and then they're part of the festival day with us. And right. that's a culture change, but the, the, they give us energy and then we give it back to them and it, it's a better festival. Right. It's that back and forth uh, cooperative. Uh, it's kind of like what's more yeah. important, the uh, the shop, 
the shopkeepers or the entertainers. And it's like, does it really matter? The patrons are here for both of us. It's a big village. Right. Like, I'm not here right. without them selling their wares next door. Like, if no one's shopping, no one wants to be entertained. You have to have right. that great diversity like you're talking about. Right. Right. I, 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 I agree. So, Fudd, did you ever see Human Combat Chess back in the day? Uh, Bill Lockett yeah. put it on. Back in the olden days, yeah, there was a lot of there was there was more street fighting and there was more uh, uh, choreographed the combat chess, the human chess, and there were a couple of other acts that did that kind of thing. Um, the thing that I remember about it that is kind of I, I think might tie into some of what you're talking about is the characters that came to human combat chess to be the chess pieces were from. They were street characters, they were stage performers, and they came from all over the festival and people would interact with them all day long and then they would see them in one place interacting together and there was kind of what? a common story thread that was there. You know, Lewis, who is now Robin Hood, was Guy of Gisman back in the day and would right. come in and he, the Lord Sheriff was there and, and Robin Hood, who I think was uh, uh, Don... Uh, Preston, Don, Don Preston. Don yes. Preston, thank you. Um, woo <laughs> yeah, you know, he would he would come back in Robin Hood and winner, winner. some of the some of the Roma characters that were in Suleiman's actually came out even and were you know chess fighters. So I mean it was all over the festival. I think there was even bakery people there. Yeah, uh, and it was and, just, it was neat because this common story was happening. Right, and I I actually reached out to Jen Cisco to see if we could start to develop a new combat game performance piece. And I said, it doesn't have to be chess. That's the obvious choice. But let's be creative thinkers and see what happens. And uh, we, we, could, we could do it the way that you're suggesting, where you bring in people from all over the site. The danger for that is that for a full chess board, you end up with about 40 cast members all in the same place at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're trying to figure out a way, can we do it with fewer cast members? And can we have their... Can we build into it some well-choreographed sequences, some fight sequences, but can we also have it, have some humor in it where yeah. maybe before the fight breaks out, um, somebody hits you with the glove and throws it down. You know, they, they throw down the gauntlet, so to speak. And the question is, uh, choose your weapons. And the weapons might be swords or staffs or the weapons Fire. might be... Or pies. Fire. It could be, you know, or staring contest, or it could be any number of things so that we have some lighthearted nature to it as well. Yeah, I'm not going to volunteer my idea. entire group or anything, but I think I think Fondazi would love to be involved in this. Uh, <laughs> we have obviously a very close, close working relationship with Robin Hood and that crew. Yeah. Uh, and I believe we could probably choreograph with them very easily. Well, when we, he's let us to, light him on fire uh, before. Project. When, I don't, I don't yeah, want to know that. Yeah, we get to light Robin on no, fire, No, 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 I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. Um, I didn't light anybody on fire. That more fire is just a myth. It's just a bunch it, of dragons playing around down in the forest. You know, um, one of you said <laughs> earlier that there are things like, uh, there are things that used to be there that aren't there anymore. And mm -hmm. that's the nature of the festival. Um, yeah. The roundabout is gone. Now it's a big rocking horse. And the original Bad Manor is gone. And they built the new one in the mid-80s. And um, there are a lot of things that used to be there that aren't. And that's okay. I mean, the festival itself has to evolve, too. 
but it's a balance. You know, you've got to have you've got to have the fresh stuff that comes in that keeps everything alive, and then you've got to have the old things that are that people recognize and and rely on. I agree. You know, that's actually a really good point. Um, with that in mind, is there anyone from the festival that you're like, man, that that void? Oh yeah, How all of them. You know, I I think back to. Uh, we just lost Brian Murphy, and Brian Murphy's a great example right. because he was always evolving into something different. Um, but back, back, you know, there, it's that we've lost some major stage acts, but we've gained major stage acts, and we're going to lose some of those, and then we'll gain something new and different. Um, there are individuals that I miss just because it's so, it's so funny to be walking the exact same streets in the exact same clothing as I did in 1985 but there are entirely different people around and every Have once in a while anybody recognize you from 85 and be like holy crap well yeah the the first year I came back uh this person came up to me who <laughs> was maybe, a, maybe about 25 27 years old and said oh you're for the incredible juggler and I said yes well you might not remember me and I said well no <laughs> You weren't born when I left. I mean, it's not a matter of remembering you. I've never heard of you. I have no idea who you are. No, but my parents, you would know my parents. And of course, because of the generational aspect, sure, I do know a lot of the parents and I see them out there, you know, but it, uh, I tell you that the first year I was so relieved when I was walking down the path uh, again by ups and downs and I could see David Bryce walking towards me. And I thought at last there's somebody David Bryce, Gary Parker, you know, people from my era that I can think, yeah, we, you know, we go back. So it's funny because somebody just said that, who is it that's the rookie of your group? Me. Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been performing out there for 11 years. Adam, well, you got me because uh, according to festival calculations, I've only got two. Yep. <laughs> we got to change that, man. When we're talking about, you know, looking back at your early days there and uh, the legacy of some other people that have been out there, was there somebody out there who is no longer with us on this earth who you would like mm. to give a nod to as somebody that mentored you and share a story so that there's yeah. a little piece of legacy is preserved? Well, I, some of them are still on this earth, but um, yeah, certainly, certainly Lee Walker. And I learned, an, I learned a, a lot from Lee Walker. And um, one of the things that I've been doing over the last couple of years is in the, the few weekends before the festival opens, I always make sure that I can commandeer a golf cart with a cooler of water and a cooler of pop. And I just drive from booth to booth and offer to help and offer a water and offer a pop and take a few minutes to talk with the crafters. And I learned that from Lee Walker, where the best way that entertainment can engage with our crafters is to actually engage with the crafters and, and have, you know, have it be a community. Um, and he and I used to do that. We go out on Fridays, we go out to lunch uh, at a place called Butch's Tavern in Chaska, which is now a Dunn Brothers. And then we'd stop and pick up pop and water and we ride the golf cart around and hold something up while it was being hammered into place or carry something or whatever we could do. But that just enhances the whole nature of the community out there. And Lee was, Lee was a little rough around the edges, but deeply caring, deeply caring all the time. Um, but there were some other people, certainly George Herman, who probably saw me do the apple trick 
uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. <laughs> and because he was the consummate king and the consummate actor in that role, he really uh, was the one who taught me it's a one-day festival, everything has to be fresh, because every time I the apple trick for the king, it was like the first time he'd ever seen it. And he he was just spectacular. And I would I would enjoy doing it because I knew that he would be fascinated every time um, that that I would come and do the trick. Um, but John Struken, who helped me with my juggling, and certainly the flying Karamazov brothers who took me under their wing, um, and they became friends of my of mine and my family and would come to our home for dinner uh, because they were here from California and every once in a while just needed a home-cooked meal. Um, and there's nothing like bringing the flying Karamazov brothers home to your mom and dad for dinner. <laughs> That's an entirely no, different just... podcast. I just love hearing about, I just love hearing about the story that it's that, that childhood wonder of looking at the trick and just like, I wonder what's going to happen. That curiosity of it could go totally wrong. You could one of those times not bite sure. the apple. That's, just like, that's true. Uh, Casimir the Hungry, one of those times he eats the sword, it could not go well. And every time he does it, I watch intently going, is it going to happen? Because... It's so incredible. I love, I love that yeah. curiosity, that wonder that it's the first time. There was a show that. down at the old gypsy camp uh, where I was just getting, I just lit the torches and was getting ready to, to juggle the torches. And this four-year-old kid walked right smack through things. And I almost whacked this kid <laughs> with a flaming torch. <laughs> and so I wanted to get them out of the Not way. Good. So I, I caught the torches and put them behind me for a second and then brought them back. And because you guys are so good with fire, you probably already figured out what the problem was, that as I brought them back, I had set my own shirt on fire, um, mm -hmm. which was highly entertaining for the audience. Um, <laughs> but so you, you ad lib, and I just hopped up and down on one foot and the other and, and swatted it out while I said, Dorothy, Dorothy. You know, and you, you just, you, you know, that's what you're doing. You just go with what's happening. Um, a little fire, Scarecrow. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Want to play ball, Scarecrow? Oh, so many. Honestly, I mean, those are the memories that I have the most. Those times where it didn't quite go as planned, but it all worked out great. Those are, yeah. well, those are the best performances. We, we won't go into the details, but um, this, again, this might be <laughs> another a whole different podcast. But we wrote this gate show last year with Jim and Laszlo, and Jim, the first weekend, tossed out an ad lib that he hadn't thought through very well. Uh-oh. And, and it was spectacular because it was sort of like the old Carol Burnett show where Harvey Corman and Tim Conway are, one of them's going to crack, one of them's going to go before the skit's done. And Jim tossed this thing out, and I just threw up my hands and turned around and started to laugh. And Laszlo walked away, and the audience is now roaring as Jim realizes the double entendre that he had not intended. Um, so okay. afterwards, we get backstage, and he said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't. I didn't thought that through. I. I is it, is that going to be okay?" And I said, "Yeah, Jim, it's going to be fine." And his next question was, "Can we leave it in the show?" <laughs> yep. I said absolutely. It's in the, and now it's in the script, but and you know that's something that that really good performance also has to do. 
Um, a lot of people think working the Renaissance Festival, you just show up and ad lib everything, and you really can't. You have to have right. some, you have to have some structure, and you have to have some bits. But they can't be so tight that you can't ad lib and and figure out how you're going to do it differently and let it let it evolve. Um, right. But it's it's spontaneity, you know. And uh, here's a flying Karamazov brothers quote. One time, I we were talking, and they said. It's about spontaneity, Fudd. And I said, really? And one of them said, yes, we know that our performance is spontaneous because we've been practicing it all week. <laughs> and I think yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of truth in that. The more you have it practiced, the better that spontaneous moment can occur and it doesn't throw you off. It just throws you in a different direction. Absolutely. I completely yeah, we, agree. As someone who's yeah. also lit his backside on fire multiple times, <laughs> I mean, those are the memories. Those are the spontaneity yeah. of the fire show. Do you guys have oh, a safe word? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> we do. And at the same time, it doesn't always work. <laughs> so our safe word is monkey. And that seems kind of odd at first blush, but it comes down to the fact that we used to have a backstage hand who we called Monkey. Like, that was his nickname. Okay. So, even though he has since left the group and doesn't work with us anymore, we still yell for Monkey. Okay. And that's the code word of, I'm on fire, I need some help. However, right. there are times where you may be on fire, say your bandana happened to light up after you wrap a whip around your body, and you put your fire to the side and yell for monkey and take a knee where your brother says, nah, he's fine. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't always work. So, so the thing is, what is that Adam, Brett and myself were performing at a very small little festival and I'm getting my hula hoop ready to go on next. And Adam does the monkey and I look up and his bat, his bandana's on fire and it's like traveling up towards the shirt. And I go, Brett, Adam's on fire. And he goes, Nah, he's fine. <laughs> and I go, uh, Brett, Adam's on fire. He's it, saying monkey. And he goes, nah, he's got it. Nah, he's got he's it. Fine. And I'm like doing that thing where I'm trying to like bite my shoulder. You yeah. Know? And I'm like trying to put it out. And so, the audience is like, what's going to happen? They're laughing. They're laughing Mon at me. Monkey doesn't necessarily mean someone's coming to help you. Monkey just means I'm in no! trouble. Yeah. Yes. It means uh, I'm, yeah, in trouble. I'm in trouble. I need help. Right, right. Whether or not right. it comes is you, you totally know, up so to the other people. The, the fact is not that Adam got lit on fire and he's fine. It's that he then later put Brett in charge of our safety. Yeah. So that's the obvious choice, right? He's our safety <laughs> I will admit, though, Brett has never let me light on fire. He, that's true. He only lets me on fire. So he has <laughs> often, like, when we come up with something new, it's always like, Katie, come stand in between Adam while we throw a fire oh, around yeah. you. Katie, I'm going to get as close to you with fire as they can. But he, he has said more than once, I will not light you on fire. And he's been very I, serious about that. I don't want do to Adam know the these okay. things. <laughs> but everything I, we do is totally safe on the Sherwood stage. There's no reason to be concerned or come down there ever. Nope. Okay. Never. Yes. Well, I come There's down there. We have exceptionally good safety protocols. Well, except for the food. I come, come down for the food. For food yeah, anytime. Yes. Yeah. I don't care if you do any shows we, as long as there's some food, yeah. We had an entire episode yeah. just for the whole food episode. we have out backstage. Yeah. Anywho, it looked like it my shirt looked like I got shot by a shotgun afterwards. It Yikes. no longer was usable. And then we put <sighs> Brett in charge of safety to teach him a lesson. 
I would like to know one of the things that kind of piqued my interest is Teresa went on like everyone knows the story of Lee Walker. Honestly, I'm the noob. I've only been out there for 11 years. I actually don't know the story of Lee Walker. So, Fudd, if you could please enlighten well, me on how you understand and know him. Yeah, um, he was the entertainment director. And again, I, I kind of took a, several pages from watching him. Um, always in costume, always doing a show. Uh, there used to be a sandwich shop down in Cartwheel Cove, and Lee and Tim so Rudy would go down there once a day and do the Magic, magic Circle Illusion, uh, which was a little street show, just the two of them. Um, and there is an apocryphal story that they went down there one time to do the Magic Circle Illusion and got their crowd, and mostly what they were doing was hawking for Seville Sandwich so that they could get lunch. Um, but they, <laughs> they did their, for food, so I understand. they did their 10 minute or 12 minute show and their jokes and, you know, their bits, they, they had their rehearsed bits. And then at the end of it, they said, well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the point in the show where it's time for us to pass the hat. And they both took out hats full of $1 bills and passed them around and let people take what they needed. Yeah, no, that was a great conversation with Fudd. I really love his scope on what we're doing out at festival. I love the culture that he's trying to create. Uh, there's a lot of value to that. I appreciate his, you know, kind of his history that he's got because, you know, having been out there as long as I have, you know, there's stuff that you guys have never seen, but, you know, Fudd has talked about people that I've never seen. I've never met Lee Walker. He was long gone before I got there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Gary Parker was the, uh, entertainment director at that time. And then I had like six more entertainment directors and all that at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. some years they were come and gone before the festival was even over. Um, yeah. so it's unfortunately kind of a revolving door. And so there's been a lot of shift in how things are done. And, you know, it's, well, it's always going to be ever evolving. I think the, like the connection I made when he was talking about Lee Walker, and that passing the hat in reverse order. I mean, that reminded me when uh, we were learning about Brian Murphy and his legacy, how he would give the literal clothes off his back to people, whether he knew them, they were friends, he had just met them. He's giving a piece of himself back to somebody else. And that's mm -hmm. just something we need more of. Yeah. Well, we look forward to having a lot more of these legacy conversations with people. Um, coming along here, are we going to be doing more of these during the festival season timeline? That you know. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna we're actually going to be in interviewing Mark Lazarczyk next week, who plays the character of Fitz out at the Renaissance Festival. He's another legacy member. He's been out there. He's gone through multiple iterations of characters, worked with different partners. I am super excited to talk to him next week. Definitely, I'm definitely a lot. I don't even know how long Mark's been there. I think we'll he came from out. the dirt. He shall return yeah. to the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he was born there. That's the legend. Spawn. I believe he yeah. he's been out there roughly this between Chris and I's number. Yeah, he got I, I there feel after like that's Chris. About I want right. to say, but right before I did, and he started out at the uh, King of the Log. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything in um, housekeeping? If you're a member of Patreon, if you support us there, which is our way of making tips this season since we don't have live performing uh there's different levels that everyone can subscribe to the two dollar is the typical button level 
uh, also known as the you can buy us a donut level. I believe there's five dollar <laughs> and other levels going up from there all the way up to the twenty five dollar. You must be one of our parents level because <laughs> our parents literally do come out and tip us twenty dollar bills, even fifties at times, which are amazing. Love them. Thanks, mom and dad. Uh, and thanks, mom and dad. Thanks, mom, mom and dad. <laughs> all the mom and dads. Thank you so yes. much. And thank you to all of our listeners, all of our Patreon members. We would not be doing this without you. So thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.